Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Annabelle Manilow-Morgan. She is the Chief Scientific Officer at Messiah Medical and also the author of The Mighty Flower. Annabelle, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here with you. So if you would, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, it's unique, very interesting, and completely relevant to the discussion that we're going to have. Briefly, tell us how you got to this point in your career. Sure. Um, well, I am from Canada, and I moved um, here to, to the United States to go to university um, to be a basketball player, actually. My dream was to um, go to the WNBA and um, always been really good at biology and chemistry. So, so the medical school thing was always the backup plan. Um, you know, my senior year in college in New Orleans, was the year of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Mm -hmm. And so we all got displaced and, um, you know, of course, basketball season never happened. And so when I was wondering what to do with myself, I quickly graduated and um, thought, okay, I'll go and get a, a medical doctor degree. That'll be my next step. Um, I never was very fascinated by medical school or, or even the idea of, you know, I asked a lot of questions. And so um, my mentor at the time told me, you know, maybe you should go the research route. Maybe you should uh, go after a PhD. And I did. I, I started at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., where I still studied developmental neuroscience. And then went on to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, where I finished a PhD in cell and development biology. And uh, my focus there was cardio-oncology, which was a rather new field where we merged, um, you know, oncology and cardiology. And we were looking at, at the cellular level, of course, uh, chemotherapies and their effect on heart disease. And that is a project that I worked on for about seven years um, now still working within that space and um, looking at hypoxia during heart attacks and solutions for that. Um, and I still do work at Vanderbilt University and, and globally as well on several different projects. So, I, you know, fascinating background. I think the thing that really struck me was the basketball piece. I, that that <laughs> came out of the side, side there. I was just, uh, uh, but, you know, Always interesting to hear people's background and obviously, you know, deep dive into cellular mechanisms, you're looking at hypoxia, but, you know, all of this leads up to something a little bit different and, you know, the subject of your book. So if you would, for the benefit of the listeners, tell us the, the story um, about that and, and the, the subsequent book, if you would. Sure. So... Um, in 2016, when I was still working away at the cardio-oncology project, um, I had my third child. So I'm a mother of five. 
And I had my third child. His name is Macario. You know, I've done this before. So he was born perfectly fine. And and I was perfectly fine. And here we are. We go home. Well, within two hours of being home, uh, Macario was foaming at the mouth and he was seething, which in a baby looked like he's twitching. And it was uncontrollable. We rushed him to the hospital, of course, and found out that he had a stroke. To this day, I don't know how, when, and at what point he had that stroke. But the real problem was that he was seizing uncontrollably. He was having 200 to 500 seizures per day. Um, so, of course, I'm not a scientist or a doctor at this point. I'm mom, and, I, and I'm very concerned and, and very helpless. Um, they tried every regimen, drug regimen at the hospital to try to slow these seizures down, uh, medically induced coma at two weeks old. And at 28 days old, when nothing would work, there, uh, um, a surgery was performed where they removed 38% of my son's brain. So at just five weeks old, they removed uh, all of his left brain, pretty much, left occipital lobe, left temporal lobe. Um, and, of course, a very difficult time, nine-hour surgery. And the outcome was unknown because it was the first time this particular surgery had ever been done. And, and what was even more challenging was the thought that with him missing so much of his left brain, he'd probably not use the right side of his body that the area of the brain that he is now missing is responsible for, you know, the, the things that we don't even think about, right? Spatial organization, communication, memory, comprehension. Um, and of course, missing his entire left occipital lobe, he'd never use his, his right eye or, or, or vision, vision processing center. And you deal with that. You take that home and you're happy he's safe. The surgery was fine and he was no longer having any seizures. But at six months old, I just came home one day and looked at my son who's feeding out of the G-tube. So he's growing well, but he was no different than a newborn baby. And I had to, to create a solution for him. I, I do think to this day, I think that I became a scientist for this reason, to help my son. And, you know, we can dive into how, but I basically formulated a medication for my child told nobody but my husband and uh, about a month later just started pumping it through his g-tube and started immediately seeing results in two days both eyes were moving around in two months he was crawling not favoring left over right using that right side normally and by 14 months he was walking and today he is seven years old and he is in the, just finished the first grade so he'll be going into the second grade he has no developmental deficits at all. He's playing, eating, running, talking, doing all of the things. And that is why I wrote the book, Mighty Flower, with Forbes Books, is to, of course, tell this story, um, but of course, provide hope to families and, and also hope to uh, open some of these medical boxes that that we have um, in traditional medicine. So f first of all, let me say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, just very grateful for your willingness to share what is an extraordinarily personal and I imagine as a parent myself, such a challenging experience to go through that 
particularly with something so small, so delicate. And, you know, ultimately this was not your first. So you had other normal, I'm forgive me, normal experiences, but traditional experiences of, you know, what that should look like. Um, I, I greatly respect your willingness to do so. And I think it's so important for people to hear these things. Um, and also for the sort of exploration, I can only imagine what you were going through as you tried this process. This is your child. You have nothing but the best interest and you're essentially going through, I'm going to describe it as experimental because I think that's essentially what it was. Um, but ultimately successful. And, you know, I'll call out something else because it, it ties back to the original comments I made. Also playing basketball, I believe. You're... <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, that's so important that you bring that up because, you know, what I've learned through this process and what I share with my children is that, you know, we can set out to be whatever we dream to be. And, and But when you put in you know, that drive, that determination and the work, you learn a lot of things, life lessons throughout throughout the way, right? So, you know, it was basketball that gave me a lot of courage. It was, and not basketball alone, of course, but it was basketball that that allowed me to be a risk taker and to have faith and and just to be strong through it all. And so we are really you know, we are, are really a product of our past experiences and it, it really matters how you use those past experiences. Yeah, it's it, it's impossible to separate those sort of personal experiences and, you know, all of that that goes in, which is one of the reasons I, you know, try very hard whenever I meet people, you know, challenging interactions, whatever, you do not know what they're going through and the experiences. And I think such a, 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 you know, important point in that, you know, respect for others, no matter what's going on. So That's thank right. you for that. Um, so if we could, let's dive into what you did because you've achieved success and you're now sort of sharing that. Um, and it isn't traditional. So I, I think it's important to sort of dive into a little bit of the detail if you could, please. Yeah, of course. You know, um, very. I'm a very traditional scientist. So, you know, what came across my desk is what I studied. And you're always fighting for grants. And um, the reagents that we use is dependent on what's available to us. Um, and and for me, my search became a lot more expanded than what maybe it was in traditional medicine and, and what maybe we were was only available to us scientifically. I'm a big, big on history. I grew up around uh, Native Indians and my family's from the Philippines. And I'm, I'm big on preventative treatments and holistic treatments. And um, I was desperate, you know, that part came first and that part definitely expanded my mind. I was desperate to see if there was something else. And I kept seeing cannabis. I mean, I was hearing about it too, but I just kept seeing it. And, and really never, never once in my life have I used it or did I ever think of it as a medical treatment, honestly. I mean, it's still schedule one in the United States right now, right? So it was never anything that I probably would have thought of, but as a desperate mom, I just kept, I was open to anything. 
and I had nothing to lose. And, and so I dove into the research of it. And even though there was not a lot of research, the very little research gave me confidence that this would not harm him if I did try it. And it did give me confidence. I kept seeing the word neuroplasticity come up. And of course, you know, starting in neuroscience, I was just fascinated with the brain's ability to rewire and adapt to changes and, and really thought, geez, even in his case, would it be able to adapt to the loss of the brain that he has? I had nothing to lose. And so I was able to get a hold of the compound and was able to ensure that it was stable. And I thought about, you know, I could get super nerdy, but I thought about delivery and how it would, would work as a drug. Um, you know, and when I say drug, I mean as something that's consistent and something that I could I could evaluate, uh, have that consistency, not the variability that you get out of most plant-based extracts. I wanted it to be a drug that wanted to, to, to be formulated properly so that when I gave it to him, if it you know made him sleep all day, I could change it. Um, so I created this for him. I used CBD that we hear about all the time. In 2016, it, it wasn't in gummies and, and in dog treats, right? Um, but it was, there was some research on it. So I created my son uh, this formula using CBD. Um, I used a, a formulated base that I felt could help cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, the initial thought was that I wean him off of the several medications that he was on because that's the safest thing to do. Um, you know, the mom in me comes back and says, no, I'm taking him off of those medications, cold turkey. And that's what I did. Um, I just gave him the CBD and the CBD alone and and he has flourished and is still using it today. So I, just for the benefit of the listeners, I think it's important to to clarify CBD is the, uh, I'm going to call it non-psychoactive as opposed to the THC. And I know marijuana, cannabis, multi-use, misuse terms, but I, I think that's correct. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, you know, there's over, you know, 500 compounds in cannabis that have been defined. Um, I shouldn't say defined, I should say characterized or discovered, I shouldn't say defined. But, um, you know, I was interested in CBD because CBD had a lot of research. And when I say a lot, I mean, you know, for cannabis. And I didn't want to give him something that could hinder development. And there was some thought that THC could do that. And they definitely didn't want to put him to sleep. So that is why I chose um, to use CBD. It was for its, again, ability to hopefully adapt to changes in the brain and for it to reduce inflammation and to promote homeostasis. So it wasn't necessarily like our traditional medication where we just are trying to really reduce symptoms or put a Band-Aid over something. You know, this was really a way to just encourage his his brain to do what it wants to do. It's a it's a rapidly developing brain. He was a baby, and and I wanted to just enable the brain to do that. So, for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Annabelle Manilow Morgan. She is the founder and chief scientific officer at Messiah Medical, and also. Uh, the author of The Mighty Flower. We were just talking about your son 
uh, all of the details, um, you know, through that very challenging course, the introduction of CBD um, uh, into uh, his uh, therapy, and I think, if I'm correct, removed all other um, clinical um, prescribed treatments successfully, and I, I, I'm going to say a trajectory that turned normal and again forgive me for using the term i know it's not exactly right but you know more more typical of a child that age and continues to this day is that a, a fair summary of where we are now yes absolutely he's missing 40 percent of his brain he has used nothing other than cbd since the day i formulated that for him and he's a perfectly normal seven-year-old boy well so first of all Fantastic to hear that. So delighted for you as a mother, um, you know, parent, uh, you know, a, a real sense of sort of, you know, the importance of that. Obviously, this is, you know, it's now starting to expand. We're seeing more research. Um, you know, one of the things that strikes me about this is how, he, he was very young and we see tremendous capability for healing in, you know, younger age groups. Do you think that played a part in the trajectory of success in this? Is 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 this as applicable in older age groups? What, what are your sort of thoughts around that? I know, you know, limited experience, but obviously wide sort of deep research. Yeah, well, you know, I, I do think, I uh, will say this, I do think my son's story is a special case. And it was, um, you know, whether you believe in God or whatever you think those reasons could be of this miracle. Um, I think it was meant to be me, uh, to, to, to be the person that would uh, have such a miraculous outcome. So there's a lot to discover. You know, it's kind of like, you know, putting the carriage before the horse. There's a lot to discover here. Um, my son's brain obviously was very young and very what we call plastic and rapidly developing. It wants to do all that stuff. And CBD, you know, CBD is, was a tool. It was a tool to remove the medications that were probably bombarding his development. Were they doing it, the, its job in, in reducing seizures and helping his brain heal? Yeah, probably. But at the same time, it was probably bombarding his development. And so we just... You know, my thought is it just the tool of CBD allowed for my son's brain to do what it wanted to do. Could this happen in an older patient? Our brain develops until the age of 22. But what it does do, even after stop development stops, it does keep that neuroplasticity. And that's what I love about, you know, CBD and, and plant compounds in general, is that if we just give a little life to that machinery. It's incredible the defense mechanisms that we already have. So, so the answer to your question is absolutely. I do believe that after injury, I do believe after um, you know any neurological degeneration, I do believe that there is hope that um, not just CBD, but other plant compounds can naturally help the brain to rewire and the brain to adapt to the changes and, and for the brain to kick into gear and, and to heal. I do believe so. So I, I, I think, you know, great perspective, you know, and one of the things that's so important from your story is coming at this as a scientist, which, you know, there's a lot of 
um, fear, uncertainty, doubt uh, around these plant-based extracts and, you know, the reality of this. And I'm, I'm going to say what potentially pushed you over the edge into this was desperation, you know, and what I feel like we need as a scientific community, the medical community in general is what is it that they need to hear from you that might push them over that doesn't require them to have this desperate circumstance to say, oh, okay, we'll try now. It, it, we need much more data. I think you, you cite that. That was part of what it's lacking. We lack it. What do we need to do today? We need the opportunity to do the data. So it has been quite a journey, um, you know, learning on how to approach this. I, I am not the advocate that holds a sign outside and says, hey, legalize this. I, I have the very unbiased conversations, that the real, realistic conversations that, yes, we need more research, we need more data, and who better to do the research than those that, that are scientifically trained. So I started having a lot of those uncomfortable conversations where I knew the minute I would speak to somebody about this, it would be controversial. They'd say, well, you know, well, what's the mechanism of this? And how do you know the dose toxicity of that? Well, we need to do that research. And instead of talking to doctors, instead of talking to scientists, who are the ones that allow them to do this research, who are the ones that that pay for them to do this research? Those are, are my conversations now. Those are the people that I talk with. So, you know, I'm global with this. And I've been to over 34 countries, speaking to leaders, speaking at head of universities to try to train a more openness, just to train a more open mindset. A lot of these compounds that we use in pharmaceuticals today, a majority are from plants. These compounds are in plants. And what we do to them, it's what we do to them scientifically. We synthesize them and, and we make them toxic. But a lot of these compounds already come from plants and they shouldn't be foreign to us. And so I understand in this journey and with this mission, and this is why I wrote this in this book, it's you know not a call to action to legalize cannabis and legalize mushrooms. It's a call to action to let us do the studies and to have funding towards these studies. So I, I'm just going to cite aspirin, digitalis, metformin, all plant-based extracts, phenomenal drugs, done amazing things. Um, That's right. I, I, I want to give you the opportunity. You, you've published a book, uh, The Mighty Flower, How Cannabis Saved My Son, um, it, it's available, I think, for the general public. You know, this is an opportunity, not just science, but everybody. What should people learn, take away from that? Well, they should learn that, you know, there is never, they should never take no as an answer. They should learn to to be strong in, in their intuition and to always have hope and to fight for your family and fight fight for what you believe in. They should also learn that, you know, I was given this story not to just try to create a fast change, but to try to see more stories like my son Macario's. That's why I wrote this book. What do we need? What is the truth? What is the data? And where can we go from here? And with that open-mindedness, I think we can get a lot further than where we are today. I, I think a tremendous message to finish on, um, open-minded exploration, you know, a lack of I want to call divisiveness, 
um, through not just science, but in our sort of general uh, world, obviously, you know, a really inspirational story. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate you highlighted as N of one, which it was, but, you know, that doesn't mean to say that we can't and shouldn't learn from that. You've clearly sort of explored the boundaries of this space and thankfully, effectively for your son, uh, Macario, just close, if you would, what does his name mean? <laughs> Macario means a blessing in Filipino. And so, you know, what you put out there in the earth, it really does speak it into existence because we named him before all of this happened. And he is just a, a blessing, not just for us, but, but hopefully to, to all. Uh, unfortunately, as we do each and every week, we've uh, run out of time. So it just remains for me uh, to thank you for joining me and in particular for sharing, uh, you know, this fantastic, deeply personal uh, story. Annabelle, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for helping share, share the word. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, The Incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 